you know, I knew a lot of words meant people would ask me for definite, like I had that kind of knowledge. So I just took that to mean I knew about the world Hmm. and just that, if I could just hammer that home to a younger version of myself, like, no, no, you don't know yet. Hmm. Cause that with that, the doors open. If you know that you don't know, then you can start asking the questions. Welcome, beautiful thinkers. So today I'll present to you an interview with Kenny Palarantano, known as Kenny's Kitchen, Conscious Kenny. We're down in Cihuatanejo, Guerrero, for the Greater Reset Activation, the event where Derek Burrows organized so a bunch of speakers could talk about how to find solutions for this uh, new world that we're moving into. You can check that out on thegreaterreset.org. So I had the opportunity to sit down with Kenny and asked him about some challenge that he'd faced in his life. And one key thing that come up was the way that he was raised and how it led him to shut down emotionally. And of course, how he overcame it, how he eventually opened up to new worlds and new emotions, uh, the inner world and the outer world experimenting his way (laughs) and learning about different ways of of viewing things. So if you want to check out Kenny's work, you can go on to Odyssey, LBRY, the Hive blockchain. His moniker is at Kenny's Kitchen without an apostrophe. And let's begin. I'm here with Conscious Kenny, <laughs> Kenny Palarantano, uh, the man, the magic, the wizard, <laughs> and he's going to tell us a story about communication and learning to understand his, his own emotions and, and be present with people around him. How are you, Kenny? I'm doing really well. Yeah. Excited to be here. Excited to see you. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, you know, yesterday. Uh, well, I told you I was I was hoping that you'd show up to this event. And yesterday, when <laughs> you came in with Alyssa, and then uh, you you know we hugged in it, and then you went outside, and I thought nobody in this room knows that coolest motherfucker <laughs> in this place just walked in. They don't even know. Well, some of them know. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> my pleasure so this the story begins when when you're a child and, and it's like a the habit that you picked up from your your mother's parenting style so what what was yeah. that like yeah so you know my my mom had me really young i was born when she was 15 to her credit and my gratitude you know she she did a lot better than a lot of parents do single or not young or not. And she, you know, looked into the research at the time and stuff, read some books, like how to be a better parent, you know, how to be better than my parents or your parents were. Hmm. And, you know, obviously American culture involves a lot of hitting children. Even to this day, it's more than 85% of Americans say they hit their kids. Wow. Yeah. And so she picked up somewhere along the way that, or maybe just from herself 
you know, knew that that wasn't what she wanted to do, hmm. but picked up somewhere along the way the idea of you know, timeouts, okay. putting putting kids in the corner, and so that was my my like primary punishment as a kid when I threw a tantrum or did something wrong or you know if I spoke out you know or whatever when I was doing what wasn't wanted mm. that was the the go-to way to deal with it was to have me go in the corner of a room somewhere and like face the corner and be quiet one of my earliest memories is that being at my grandparents house and I don't remember what I did but I remember it was like go to the corner, you know, face the corner, think about what you did. How old were you, roughly? Maybe first grade, maybe five or six, mm. and then everybody else got caught up in whatever was going on, and I was just left there for like two hours. Wow! And I had already learned not to leave because then I got in more trouble if I were to leave the corner while I was supposed to be there. And. Yeah, there isn't really too much more to that particular story, but yeah. that's just like... What did, what did you feel like in those moments? I felt alone, you yeah. know, just and confused. Like, because a lot of the times there wasn't even a, like, a framing of, like, this is what you did and this is why it was wrong, so go think about it. It's just, mm-hmm. you're acting out, go think about what you did. I'm like, well, I don't... I don't know. What did I do? <laughs> like, I'm five years old. Like right. I was just doing what it felt like I was supposed to. Like I was just doing what it felt. What I felt. I was just doing what came up. Yes. I guess you don't remember even what you did. No. No. no I'm. Yes. Not at all. <laughs> this is an interesting lesson in itself because sometimes we we think that like with children or even with with adults or pe- people in therapy we might think well this person can can reflect. On what they did, but it's not like reflection is a natural skill. We have to learn to reflect, and we have to be guided into it. Yeah, yeah. I feel like if there had been some framework of like laying it all out and then having me think about it, then mm. still probably not the best move. But it, I could have. It seems like there could be more value to be had. Like yeah. now, when I. When something happens and I, I do something I'm not proud of or I don't feel good about when I go and sit quietly in a meditative space and mm-hmm. reflect on it, there's mm-hmm. definitely value that comes from that. Yes. I feel like it was like shooting for that, but not not knowing exactly how to go for it. You know, yes. It was like heading in that direction, but without without the tools. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so then that established a pattern for you somehow, that te- technique of punishment. Yeah. Yeah, that was, I mean, I can't even imagine, I can't recall how many hundreds of hours maybe I spent in the corner over the course of my childhood Hmm. before I got older when it became just getting grounded. So instead of going to the corner, it was, well, just go to your room. Okay. But still that same thing of like, something is emotionally tumultuous for you. Go be by yourself somewhere else away from other people. Hmm. And that was kind of the program that got put in just repeatedly over and over and over. And I carried that into my mid twenties, you know, and, and I, I through early teenage years until, yeah. And when, when things started to shift in my mid twenties, I, I had a lot of suicidal thoughts. I was sitting in my like, sitting in my room or out in the woods somewhere. Or, like I was just by myself a lot of times, not having any emotional language really. Like, how do you feel, good or bad? 
Mm. I feel angry, maybe, or sad. Like, I I had, like, six words for how to describe emotion, even just Mm. to myself. Even if I had someone there that was listening, I didn't have the the words to frame anything outside of, like, basically just positive negative. Hmm. And so what, what about in, say, your high school years? What, what was life like then? It was a lot, of the, a lot of the same kind of energy of being really disconnected from my, my mom and my stepdad. And my dad was not, like, they at all had big falling out. And I really wasn't allowed to see him for years at a time. Hmm. And high school is where I discovered alcohol and drugs. Okay. That's where they were readily available. So that sort of became like a new way of hiding away in the darkness was I could go hang out with people and be in the like party vibe, but just numbing myself. You know, I drank a lot and mm. smoked a lot of weed and played a lot of video games. I discovered video games like right. middle school time. Yeah, so it's kind of like zoning out. Yeah, it's all the escapes. Anything that yeah. could separate me from the pain separate me from the the things i didn't want to experience right i know sometimes many times with alcohol it can activate our emotional circuits and timothy larry says that's the that's the key uh drug for the emotional circuit did did that ever happen like you you lash out at people oh what happened yeah yeah definitely I, i i often had that like happy lovey but then crying before the end of the night for no particular reason that anybody could see Mm. energy when i was drinking yeah and i like some friends and i would like to go in the backyard and like box you know like take out physical aggression that way Mm. Mm. really the last time that i ever drank was because i went to a party got blackout drunk in the first half hour i was there and then was offering people money to punch me in the face. Wow. I, you know, all this is like rebuilt from stories. Other people told me basically, right. And I was just walking around like 20 bucks. If you hit me as hard as you can, 20 bucks, nobody would. But some guy who had some similar energy was like, no, but let's go outside and fight. <laughs> like, we don't know each other, but like, I feel it. Let's, you feel it. Let's go fight. <laughs> and I woke up the next it's a day. special connection. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's, some kind of recognizing <laughs> common humanity. <laughs> <laughs> Upside down way. Yeah. Yeah. And I I mean, I have some glimpses of that fight. People I'm people I'd never met before but were at that party have like come up to me on the street hmm. in the years after and were like, dude, this guy, isn't that crazy guy I told you about? <laughs> I'm like, That's awesome. <laughs> like I woke up the next day just like covered in road rash because we were wow. like in the driveway wow. rolling around. So I had, like my face was scraped up, my arms were scraped up. The guy had been wearing a metal ring, so I had like indentations on my face from his ring. <laughs> and that was that was when I was like, I'm done with alcohol. <laughs> if I want to get in a fight with somebody, that's one thing, but like I need to actually choose to do it and like remember it. I, I don't want to mm. just wake up and be like, oh, I got in a fight apparently. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's. It's so interesting that le- level of realization. <laughs> this kind of in between level. Yeah. No more alcohol, but fights are still good. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah. Like uh, I, I know that you don't like alcohol. Like that was that was like the 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 day you decided. Yeah, yeah. that was 2011 or 12, maybe. Uh-huh. And I've 
I've probably had a handful of drinks since then. None, uh-huh. none in the last four or five years. All right. Yeah. That, but that was the last time I ever got drunk. That was mm. the last time I ever had more than one drink at a time. Mm. For sure. That was, that was, yeah, that was one of my first, I feel like that might've been my first realization of yeah. like, no, I can change the way that I'm doing things. I don't have to just flow through letting whatever happens happen. Like I can choose not to get drunk anymore. And then things like that won't happen anymore. What does it feel like to have that realization? <laughs> it feels you know, on the one hand it feels kinda good it feels sort of like, like a little proud on the like uh-huh. I I don't give myself credit necessarily for taking control of my life that early because it wasn't until a few years later that I, in my story that I have, I really took the reins, Hmm. but that was a a huge shift. Yes. At the same time, it feels a little, uh, I don't know, underwhelming because it's like I stopped drinking, but I still doing coke all the time and i was still i would still take random drugs people gave me instead, like so this doesn't have alcohol in it right, right. <laughs> just, just opiates cool <laughs> so yeah <laughs> yeah but still you know that's how that's how change is you know yeah, it's gradual build, build a foundation like one one paver at a time one brick at a time yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> huh. Yeah. So what what happened with the fighting? That was the last time I got in a fight. I've done a oh, little bit okay. of like slap boxing and stuff. You know, like I've trained in martial arts at various times. Yep. So there's sparring and stuff. But like, yep. I haven't even that wasn't really a fight out of anger. Hmm. It's been probably even longer. Like maybe high school since I had like a fight out of anger. And oh, so that night when you got blackout drunk, it wasn't anger. It was like. Like self punishment, almost uh, like because it okay. started like I just wanted somebody to hurt me. Okay, was the beginning, and then the way that it played out, where it turned into a fight, or you know, but it was like, yeah, we literally didn't have any context with each other. We'd never met before. There was no animosity. It was just like, let's get out physical aggression together. Hmm. Um, well, I feel like I I let out years of aggression in, in that experience, probably. Hmm. Like that was the realest fight I'd ever gotten in. Like we were, I mean, it was, from what I'm told, it was between 15 and 20 minutes of us like full force throwing each other on the ground, headlocks, punching in the face. Like <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, it sounds like it was quite the show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh dear. Well, some sometimes I, I get like you mentioned before the numbing effects of alcohol, and sometimes. When we seek to feel pain, it's like we just want to feel something. Uh, do, yeah. do you think that was a factor? Oh, yeah. There was one of my favorite songs for years was Three Days Grace, mm. Pain. And the chorus is something, something, because I'd rather feel pain than nothing at all. Because mm. I generally just so fully disconnected myself from emotion. Because mm. I, I felt joy and I felt happiness and stuff. But, like, I didn't really... In the story I told, those weren't mm-hmm. there. You know, they were the little glimpses. The story right. always revolved back around the depression, around the, I feel hopeless, I feel pointless, so why am I here, what am I doing? I don't fit in at school, school sucks, it feels like a waste of time, but I'm forced to go. And, mm. and you know, the 
parental separation stuff, having a, a sister who was born of my mom and my stepdad. So mm-hmm. it was like, it's family, but at the same, it's her dad and her mom and just my mom and her, you know, it was all okay. just this swirling mess of like not knowing who, who I was or where I was fitting, like where I fit in or where I was supposed to be going or who I was going to be. Hmm. Like, and after that decision, saying I'm not going to drink alcohol anymore, did you start to have a, a different concept of self? Not then. Hmm. At least not that I'm aware of. Hmm. I mean, alcohol ceased to become part of myself. Because yes. it certainly was. I mean, there were many years where I'd drink every single day. I mean, hmm. I would go through a bottle of whiskey a day or more. Like, was my standard. While going to like having a full-time job and going to college like i was a true functioning alcoholic Hmm. uh so that my yeah my sense of self shifted in that way to where i wasn't a drinker so i didn't go to parties as much and i like little bits it was like shedding things but it didn't Mm -hmm. nothing necessarily replaced it you know it's like parts of the the that story about myself fell Mm -hmm. off but Mm -hmm. i didn't necessarily add new parts to it at that point there was no more clarity around what was there i just became a little more clear about what i wasn't hmm okay and then and then you you told me before after high school you got married yeah so how does that fit in like the story of personal growth or identity what what happened there we we dated my sophomore year for a while like for six months or so and then split up for a couple of years and then got back together my senior year. And Sorry. I'm a, oh, <laughs> sophomore year. That's the, like the second year. Second year. Of, yeah. Of uh, university. Of high school. Oh, okay. High, yeah. All right. well, it, university uses the same terms. I yes. See. But, okay. Um, so like 14 or 15 and then we split up and got back together like 17, 18. Yeah. And then it was, it was strange. We, we had a lot of alignment. We were both very intelligent. We were both super opposed to the idea of having kids at the time. We both had a very nihilistic, super mm. atheist, super physical reductionist view of the world. Mm. In in this day and age, you know, I mean, if I had known who Thomas Malthus was at that point, I would have subscribed to his idea that the world was overpopulated. You know, the line from the matrix of humanity being a virus was something that I like totally resonated with at that time Hmm. because most of my experience with humans was, you know, drunken high school kids and Hmm. like teachers and parents and stuff who clearly didn't have anything figured out (laughs) and like watching the news and watching, like seeing what's happening out in the world and like asking these questions of like, why would they do that? That, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And everybody's answer is like, well, it's just the way it is. Or, Oh, they're just the ones in charge. I'm like, so you're all just idiots is what you're telling me. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I was pretty, had a, besides my own actual emotional stuff, my worldview and my, my sense of what humans were was super dark and very hopeless. Hmm. There is no, there was no redemption for humanity in the story that I lived at that point. Hmm. Most of my story was, you know, movies and books and then just seeing people who clearly weren't living their life. They weren't living in joy. They weren't being authentic. They weren't following their personal journey. They were stuck in the machine. And I didn't realize there was anything besides that. Right. Yeah. I'm trying, trying to imagine, like, put, put myself in that 
vision of the world. It just, just seems like everything's black and white. Yeah. 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 And mostly black, like mostly dark. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. And I didn't have really, neither parents or family at all was religious at all. We just, we didn't have any mystical higher power that was going to make it better. We had no stories of heaven or any, like our story was like, you die and then your body decomposes. Hmm. So pretty much what I gleaned from all of this was like, everything sucks. Life isn't fun. You're not going to feel good. Most of the time people are stupid and are going to do things that don't make sense. And then you die. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And, and somehow you bonded with your, uh, your eventual wife over this yeah philosophy. yeah yeah to some extent yeah this the like sort of anti-human anti like just nihilistic side of it the mm-hmm. if we're playing this game you know we're both we were both intelligent and did well in school and so we we're like well let's both go to college make a bunch of money and then we can at least do whatever the hell we want okay you know and we literally got married so that school would be easier for us because both of our parents made too much money for us to really qualify for financial aid ah. because the paperwork said like, Oh, your parents are going to give you $10,000 a year. Okay. But when we got married, I was working full time. So it was only my income then calculated for both of us. Hmm. So we were, she got far more than I did in terms of financial aid, but we were able to qualify for something. So it was like, we loved each other. Well, to the extent that either of us understood what love was at that point. Yeah. But it was largely like a business thing is like well we want to go to college and this will make it easier mm-hmm. and we can sign this contract together sure okay which is super romantic <laughs> yeah but in some form you know in some limited form this is a positive thing because you're deciding to, in, in some sense to, to take on this endeavor together and and you wanted to improve your lives even just financially so. yeah yeah we want we both had kind of that Bonnie and Clyde, like natural born killer that like, it's us against the world <laughs> kind of thing, you know? Okay. And I was sober most all the time that we were together cause she didn't drink alcohol and stuff. So as, or use any sort of mind altering substances. So mm-hmm. for the year and a half we were married and everything, I, it was only like towards the very end of that. I started hanging out with a friend that smoked weed. Like started smoking weed a little bit again and, uh-huh. and then started hanging out with some people I worked with at the drink. Like, for most of that, it was the only sober time in my, you know, early twenties and, and teenage years. Hmm. So there was that value too of like being with someone who didn't do that made it just not something that I was doing all the time. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's good. Yeah. Uh, it's funny we actually just got together last year, right before the lockdowns, and actually did our like divorce paperwork. Oh. <laughs> and, like we're, we're officially not married because at that point when we were done we just walked away and like never spoke to each other again for a, like a full decade <laughs> but we didn't have any assets or kids or anything so right. it was like there was nothing to worry about yes. in that sense there's no lawyers involved or court involved or anything but yes yeah yes. it was felt good to still it's felt good to come together and like hey you're doing well living right. life Get cool me too cool Let's get rid of this thing so we <laughs> don't have this weird energetic bond anymore and <laughs> move on with our lives. <laughs> this is good. Well, what, what happened with the marriage or the relationship? How, and how did your tendency to clam up or go, or go solo, how did that affect you? Yeah, that, I, don't, I honestly don't even know what her experience was like at all 
hmm. in it because I, I didn't share what was up for me. You know, when I was, if I felt angry about something or if I felt jealousy about something or if I felt slighted or like, I just generally didn't communicate it except in those, you know, once every few weeks or a month or two, like shouting match that would explode out of nowhere hmm. air quotes around that. Cause it's obviously not nowhere. It's like build up from weeks of not sharing what's up. Yeah. And that was pretty much, yeah. How it, well, it finally ended cause I was in a really suicidal place and I just like, I attempted to kill myself. I went to a, a park, like a, forest park off of the highway and took a bottle of sleeping pills and woke up in the county jail the next day because they found me in the woods because I, apparently I had like thrown up all over my car as I got out of it and wandered into the woods so they thought I was like a DUI wow. and I woke up in solitary confinement puking blood and never like it was years after that, before I told anyone, I told them that I had just gotten pulled over and the cops just fucked with me and that it was, you know, just cops being assholes. Uh, and so, she, and she knew something was up. She knew that wasn't what happened, but I didn't mm. share. And within a couple of weeks I was just like, I didn't want to put her through it because I did care about her. And mm. it was just so awkward now that there's this huge lie around it mm. that I just said, I'm done. Like, I'll sleep on the couch. You can live here as long as you need. Cause I was paying all the bills and stuff. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't want to, I have no ill will against you, but like there's nothing here anymore. Like I don't want to live with you, be with you anymore. Hmm. And then the next day I got home from work and she was like moving out with the help of someone who had been one of my friends that she ended up dating for the next like year and a half. Okay. So that was all added to a bunch of story that I was spinning out on. Yes. But really it was just, I, I spent probably a solid year, like, just wanting to die, and that's when I started taking all sorts of random pharmaceuticals and stuff that I could get from people, because I was like, if I just take all the drugs in the highest quantities I can, something will kill me. It didn't, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, maybe for brief moments, I could very well have been dead for moments in there, but, like, then come back. Uh, But, yeah. It's so so interesting looking at it, because, like, I really... I don't know if there was ever any like shared experience in that relationship. Hmm. Cause I know I wasn't communicating. I wasn't showing up. I wasn't being present. And I don't know if she was because of how disconnected I was, but she right. definitely didn't have any better tools necessarily than I did. She didn't have the language or anything either. So we kind of just like floated around next to each other, like eating meals together and sleeping next to each other for a year, but not really knowing each other. Hmm. Well, I I invite you to use a a, a technique. It's called uh, perspective repositioning. Hmm. Uh, will you Will you join me? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so let's take a deep breath and uh, yeah, close your eyes. Keep Keep your eyes closed now. <laughs> so let's go back to that day when you get home and she's moving her things out. Do you get out of your car or where are you? Yeah, I got out of the car, like parked, and then there was a car out front that I sort of recognized. Mm -hmm. And as I went into the house, they were like bringing the last couple boxes of her stuff out. 
Okay. And things that I consider to be my stuff, too. There's a whole bunch of... In, just in myself, drama of like feeling like she took movies that were my favorite and things like that. But So, so you get home and you watch Taking Her Stuff and Your Stuff and how do you feel? Mm. Betrayed in a, in a way, hmm. mostly because it was like her and a friend who had always had like a a flirty conversational way with her and stuff. Mm. So it felt like there was a story that came up of like, Oh, they've probably been together for however long already. Kind of, you know, I, mm. I didn't have, I, I still didn't have the, the tools to reflect on my own experience much at that point. So I was like, Oh, maybe part of what's been feeling so bad is she's been cheating on me or mm. that sort of thing came up. Okay. And, and a, a sense of like, this is what happens when you try to do the right thing where I had been like, you know, you can live here and I'll keep paying for stuff and you, you know, like food and like, don't worry about it. And yeah. then to, to just have her leave the next day with a bunch of stuff, you know, like so it felt she, like, Oh, I laid out and tried to be you. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And anything else about that, about that experience from your perspective? Largely, I just, I mean, to some extent, I really didn't even care because I, I literally just tried to kill myself like the week before and was planning on again. Like I bought, I bought a gun a couple of days later and just to, to kill myself. Wow. So there was like, there was this abandonment slash anger slash jealousy stuff there, but it was pretty subdued really. Yeah. Cause it was just like, what the fuck ever? I don't, I'm not. I'm done. Anyways, I don't... This story's over. Right. So. Well, take another deep breath. And now you're going to see things from her perspective. What is she doing? Just trying to get somewhere she felt comfortable and safe and... Hmm. You know, because... While there wasn't, like, violence in our relationship, she didn't know me. And she knew, especially after that suicide attempt, she knew that there was some big dishonesty happening there. So, who knows what's really going on, you know? Like, was I out doing hard drugs that night? Or was I out sleeping with other people? You know, like, it could have been anything. Right. Um, And all she knew is that I disappeared for a night and then came back and had to get my car out of impound and like had gotten arrested and stuff and then told her I didn't want to be together anymore. Hmm. So maybe she felt betrayed and abandoned as well. Yeah. And she only ever knew one version of me that was always, you know, reserved and didn't really communicate my feelings and stuff. So, Hmm. and, and when you would, when she would ask, throughout the relationship it's like no i feel fine i feel you know like i'm good i'm you know, like yeah there was no unless it the sense i got from i've gotten from lots of people in that time who were in my life in that time is that i didn't really give off any indicators that i was seriously depressed through it you know so mm. i'm sure she took a lot of that personally like when i said i don't want to be like I was saying, like, I'm trying to kill myself and I don't want you to be around for it. And she just heard, like, I don't want to be with you. 
Right. You know, so I, yeah, I imagine it was much more of a personal blow thinking yeah. she had done something wrong or she had just wasn't what I wanted or something like that yeah. because she had no way of knowing what was actually happening. Right. Anything else about her perspective on the relationship? It's, it's so hard to say because I feel like I literally never knew her because yes. I I didn't know like I didn't have the questions to ask to get to know somebody better we didn't you yes. know, like adventure partners kind of uh, yeah yeah but I, I can't imagine it was very fulfilling or connected to be with someone who was you know retracted in, in their own head and in their own darkness so much hmm yeah well, let's and, try move to a, a third party perspective so just imagine for example there's a security camera at the front of your house and you're, you're looking at the security looking from the security camera and seeing what's happening with Kenny and, and his partner there what do you notice the first thing that comes to mind is oh here's a couple of kids right out of high school that are <laughs> their their marriage right out of high school is falling apart of course like <laughs> you know like the day of our wedding her mom was like you know you guys can still not go through with this like there was a lot of that story that came up from people around us of like really you're gonna get married right after high school like, <laughs> um especially you two it's not like you're you know some crazy optimistic romantic storytelling humans uh, <laughs> so yeah, most of the, a lot of actual third party people I knew, you know, were like completely unfazed by it. You know, like, yeah, of course that was going to happen. Okay. <laughs> um, I think to some extent, the, the lack of emotional outburst during it would probably look strange because it's hmm. not like we were screaming at each other. Or neither of us was like begging for the other one back or we, you know, like it was more of a, just a walking away like hmm. okay we're done you know like I think we both have just internalized so much of it that f to a third party they wouldn't even necessarily known it was a married couple separating it could have right. just been a roommate moving out huh if you could do, do you think you could tell me something sweet about that match hmm. yeah I mean Time and nature together was always great. We both really enjoyed like hiking and a, like light rock climbing and yeah. that sort of thing. And loved playing games together and solving problems together, both like helping each other work on schoolwork. I was in business and finance and she was in biology, but both of our brains worked in both ways. And yeah, a lot of it was that like our coming together of our, our minds we're both, they both worked in slightly different ways that seemed to complement each other a lot. Hmm. What, what part of that do you think is still with you now? Hmm. I don't know if any of that relationship really lived through. Like, even the stories about it feel so distant and. Hmm. Is such a different version of me 
that I don't, you know, that isn't me. Is it wasn't me even then because it was I wasn't allowing it to be me. Uh huh. So it's yeah. The marriage, like looking at it as a whole, or even just in general, the relationship wasn't bad in any way, really. Like we didn't cheat on each other. We didn't get in fights. We didn't scream at each other all the time. We did. It was like if we had just stuck it out for another twenty years, it would have been like the the perfect American marriage kind of thing, you know, <laughs> like we would have had a house and two cars and all of that. Like it was a healthier relationship, at least like to the outside eye, certainly than a lot of the ones that, that we had around us, you know, from friends, parents and friends who got married and, or were just were together and stuff like, cause we were, I don't know. I want to say like level or like balanced in a way, but it was more just like not, investing much in it or in mm. life okay good mm. uh thanks you can open your eyes now <laughs> it's interesting so uh what what happened after that what what happened that that caused you to eventually change oh well <laughs> i like i said i had just started drinking towards the end there and I was like I want to I was done went in through a severe dark depressive state for a good while and started drinking heavily and at that point I would had I like just turned 21 and so I was able to start going to bars (laughs) and that's where I discovered cocaine (laughs) and so the next couple years I ended up quitting the job that I was at and not working for a good long while just because I got really high one night and didn't wake up for work and never bothered to go back <laughs> and spent a couple years just doing and selling drugs, basically. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sort of a, a looser approach to suicide. It was more of a, like, I'm not gonna... I mean, there were still points where I would go sit on a hilltop and just, like, hold a pistol in my hand and, like, think about pulling the trigger, but I never could. But mostly it was just like, I'm just going to drink all the alcohol and I'm going to do all the drugs. And everybody says these things are so dangerous and stuff, so they should kill me. (laughs) Why do you think you couldn't pull the trigger? I've never been able to figure it out. I, there was never a, there was never anything that happened while I was there that was like, no, I'm going to live for this. Or (laughs) like, there was nothing. I mean... I just couldn't do it. You know, I, a couple times I would be sitting there and like someone would come walking up the trail or like riding their horse up the trail or whatever. So I'd like put the gun away and like just give them the like, oh, hey, how's it going? Like standard human thing. And then I would just like, not today, I guess. And I would leave. Hmm. But there was never anything that felt like anything besides just like I would have it up against my head and I just could not physically pulled the trigger. Hmm. And, just like and I would get frustrated. I would get pissed off at myself because of it. Life. Yeah. I mean, just the biological sense, yeah. uh, largely, I imagine. But, or some sort of, you know, guardian angel kind of energy to it. But, like, I would get pissed off at myself for days afterwards because I was like, what the fuck? You smashed your phone because you were done. Like, <laughs> you know, I would, like, smash my phone and, like, just, I would, you know, have no plans to come back to anything. And like, and then 
you know, tell all my friends like, oh, my phone got broken. I had to get a new one. Sorry, I haven't been in contact. Like, mm-hmm. play it all off like nothing happened again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So then, and eventually, you gave up alcohol. And, yeah. And uh, you gave up fighting. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then <laughs> it was the end of 2011. I I was working at a restaurant, uh, which is a great place to work if you're into drugs because you have like weird hours and you get paid a lot in cash and most people in restaurants do a lot of drugs in my experience having worked in a good handful of them now uh, <laughs> and I I was selling drugs at this point uh, you know a couple pounds of weed a week a couple ounces of cocaine a week and whatever else came through and someone had some new mushrooms that they had just picked at the coast and hmm. I was like, yeah, what? A hundred bucks a pound for mushrooms? I'll take all of them. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, or a hundred bucks an ounce. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> right. That would have been a really good deal. Uh, <laughs> and I had never heard of these mushrooms before. They're called um, azarescens. Okay. And uh, they're... Psilocybin azarescens. Yeah. Blue meanies, I yeah. think. It's <laughs> <one> street, so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... You know, I had always had Cubenzies, uh-huh. and I've done mushrooms a good handful of times before, but I've never had these before, and I just, I bought them, like, in the evening, and I went home and called in the night, and woke up the next day and ate an eighth. Hmm. To start, because I was like, Cubenzies, an eighth is a weak dose. Uh, with azarescens, just as a note there, a gram is more than you need for a six-hour trip. Uh uh, so I started the day with three and a half grams and then went to a friend's house who kind of had like the druggy house where people would come through and stuff. And so I went there to sell mushrooms all day and I was just like eating them like chips. I'd like weigh somebody a bag and then like eat a couple and mm. we'd play a card game and I'd eat a couple more. And <laughs> at one point I left his house to go make a delivery <laughs> and like turned out onto the road and was driving and was like definitely tripping pretty hard, but felt like I was doing it. And then there was a cop that had somebody pulled over and his lights <laughs> were like a force field. Like I could see, like I was driving towards it and it was like this spinning force field. <laughs> I like was freaking, I'm like, be cool, be cool. I'm about to get vaporized by a laser field. Like, <laughs> and so I got past him and I just like took a turn. And I was just like, just keep turning. And then I ended up right back at my friend's house. I was like, I'm just going to park again. (laughs) And went in and hung out for a few more hours and probably ate some more mushrooms. And (laughs) his girlfriend went to sleep. And he hadn't been eating mushrooms at all because he worked the next day. But I, like, pulled him into my trip with me. Like, he was getting visuals. Yeah. And through... Between our conversation and just that level of psilocybin in my body, I had this, like, clarity moment Hmm. of, like, it is, like, small and huge at the same time. Really, it was just, like, the realization that I didn't have a self. There is no Kenny. There's just me with my mom, me with my dad, me with the cool coworkers, me with the not cool coworkers, me with hmm. my boss, me with the people I sold weed to. It was just a bunch of masks. 
and I was this faceless person behind it. And that's why I never felt good by myself. Why I didn't want to be by myself unless I was, you know, deep in a video game or drugged up or something. Cause there was nothing there. I, I was like this hollow thing that just played whatever role fit for who I was with. And there's kind of like this Buddhist notion that the, the self is kind of just this node of intersecting strings. Mm. This is this, yeah, not necessarily a self. Like they say, what it, what is it? What is a chariot? It's just a combination of wheels and a seat and a, and a horse, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And what, like, what did you do with that idea? Like, was it disturbing? Was it interesting? Was it fascinating? It was all of those things. <laughs> like it was, it felt huge. Like I, I had that like, Oh my God, dude. Like, you know, I got, it, it felt like a big realization hmm. and also felt like there was nothing to do with it necessarily. Hmm. Like that day we kind of got to that and that was sort of, and then it sort of like petered out. Like he wanted to go to sleep shortly there. Like it was, that was like the peak of the high basically. But then the next day and the next day and the next day, like things were just different. Like I didn't, it didn't feel like that idea of like being with my housemates and talking to them and then going to work and talking in a different way. Like I noticed, I started to notice uh-huh. that I was being different in these different places. And uh-huh. I started to notice that I was putting on these masks and I don't, I don't necessarily know that I made a conscious choice, but it definitely just stopped happening as much. Like I was like, wow. well, no, I'm not going to pretend that I like that just because you're my boss. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to pretend, you know, like I, I stopped selling drugs to lots of people. Cause I'm like, I don't like you. I'm not going to hang out with you anymore. Even if you're giving me money, like, <laughs> you know, my business just tanked. Cause like half the people I was dealing with weren't people I wanted to spend time with. They were just customers. And I was like, well, fuck that. I don't have to spend time with people I don't want to. <laughs> and it, yeah. So in like some ways it was, it was like another step in that, like taking the reins uh, and just like not, not just continuing what was already happening, not just going right. along. I was very much like a just yes person, you know, like oh. I would just, Oh yeah, sure. Oh, you need, Oh yeah. You, oh, you guys are going to that. Sure. I'll come along. Like I would just say yes to everything. Yeah. Cause I thought that's what people did. Like, that's how people like you is cause you do the things. And hmm. the next year was probably like the hardest year of my life really. Cause now like all of this was being like this, this mountain of whatever I had built mm-hmm. was like collapsing. Cause I, I didn't have all these different characters anymore. I didn't feel good at work anymore. I stopped going to work. I didn't feel good selling drugs to a lot of people. So I stopped doing a lot of that. So I started having less human interaction really. And hmm. it and then I also discovered LSD or like personally, I had obviously known what it was, but like I probably drank three vials of LSD over the next year, you know, and I went into a relationship with a stripper who I had met through some friends who was like, I would drop her off at work and then I would go sell drugs to people and then we'd get back together and we'd do drugs together. And it was this horrific thing. And she had just come out of a, really abusive relationship not too long before and this like LSD soaked everything torn away from me self like started taking on characteristics that she expected in a relationship and like I became more 
Yeah, just like a darker, like an angrier person than I was before. And hmm. I, so it, it kind of sounds like you had the mushroom trip and there was like a powerful realization, but that, but then you start using LSD and it's like, it's, it's a very different use of the drug, like this unconscious use of a drug. Like, was it a kind of escapism in that case or, or what? That was definitely part of it. Mm. it was escape and then just like novelty. Like it was so uh-huh. much new experience. Like so things that I hadn't felt before, things look looked different than they were before. Movies were funnier than they were before. Like mm-hmm. and just Yeah, still just a a a general like addiction energy. Like just that mm. you know, escape or or something that'll make me feel something. Besides, right. besides my baseline, you know, even during that relationship, I would still go and try to kill, like not try per se, but like just wanting to kill myself. I wanted to die through a lot of it. And hmm. I, yeah, I, it was, I don't know. It was so strange. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's mm. like, Hmm. Before you before you had that realization with the mushrooms and your your life is like over, very empty in a sense. Yeah. And then you had had this realization that even the the, the the things that you thought you had like some identity and masks and, and characters and things those strip away as well. And and then uh, like what are you left with? <laughs> exactly. It was like not much of anything really. You know, like as our relationship fell apart, as it obviously would, yeah. uh, you know, like a few months later, six months later, maybe like we, we started to grow weed together and that became a thing. It was like, I'm a, I'm a weed grower now. And okay. you know, like that cannabis was probably one of my anchors in that time was like, hmm. it was the thing that I could smoke that would just like bring me to just like peace sort of, it just, mm-hmm. you know, where other drugs were like everything gets weird or like, you know, that was my, like, I could just smoke weed and just hang out in the park for hours. I could, and when I started growing the plants that felt really, it was probably the first time I like meditated. I wasn't Mm -hmm. thinking about what it was, but I'm just like sitting there quietly observing the fine details on these plants for hours at a time and like playing classical music for them. And, you know, so then I'm basking in classical music and, so you really cared about the plants. Yeah. Yeah. And then part of it, you know, it's like started from a, like, how can I maximize our profit from these? Mm. But then it became like, I got to know each of them as I sat with them for months at a time. And hmm. it was maybe some of the first real connection that I had where I, I felt truly emotionally connected to something <laughs> and like caring about, truly caring about its well being and like actually taking steps to act to, to, take care of its well-being so there was a kind of emotional honesty that you had with the plants yeah 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 and then we split up and she chopped them all down oh <laughs> <Ouch>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but definitely something shifted through that i came out of that relationship in a like i i feel like that was the that relationship was like the clearing. That was the last of all the shadow coming to light. That was the last of these pieces falling away. Mm. These realize, you know, 
realizing I, I don't feel good when I'm on these drugs. I don't feel good when I'm on those drugs. I don't feel good hanging out in a strip club selling drugs to people. I don't like lots more little things fell away. It's like I had to lean more into these things to realize that a lot of them didn't work for me. Okay. And so I came out of it probably in the most stable place I had been in a long time. And then I got a job for a, a beverage company, like a distribution company that one of their big products was kombucha. And it, we'd have all these cases that like got dated. So I started drinking kombucha every day. It's the first time I'd ever had probiotics in my entire life. And that started to like make my brain function better and my (laughs) digestion. I wasn't constipated every day anymore. And so the, the mushroom trip was like December of 2011 and in December of 2012, which is not something I was conscious of at the time. It wasn't until years later that I realized this. Mm. I started a relationship with someone that I met at a dispensary. I got my medical card so I could, because I had, I had definitely come out with that realization of like cannabis saved my life. You know, I was like that, that was the thing that anchored me. That was the thing that felt the most peaceful, the most, like I was just being me. The plant, I didn't have to pretend anything with the plants. I could just be me and take care of these plants. Mm. And so I got my medical card and I after work every day, I'd go to the dispensary and hang out all day and chat with people and stuff. And I met this woman there and it was the first time I ever like got someone's phone number. Cause I was just like, she was expressing all her interest in kombucha. And I was like, well, here's my business card. If you want, you know, we get a discount. And she like gave me her number and I was like, oh, I got a number. Whoa. <laughs> like All my relationships had just been like a friend. And then it became more than a friend, you know, like, <laughs> but that, that woman, changed everything she she used the term coping mechanism for the first time i'd ever heard it in my life you know like these things that i described as problems with myself she's like that's a coping mechanism from this trauma that you just told me about wow and like blew my mind like helped dissect all these things in the in that realm as well as she introduced me to what gmos are and what you know, all the artificial coloring and stuff is, and I started cleaning up my diet for the first time ever. And yeah, the interesting thing is like, well, it's all kind of interesting, but (laughs) we, we had our first like date on the 18th of December, 2012. And then we basically spent the next three days together when we weren't at work and we made love for the first time on December 21st, 2012. Just, you know, the whole Mayan calendar reset day, which, again, I didn't notice any of that until a couple years later. And I was like, oh, shit, that relationship started literally right when, like, the new age was supposed to start. Um, And it absolutely for me from that, that relationship didn't last that long, like three, four months. And we just kind of drifted apart. She had kids. She was coming out of a divorce. And, like, we were not in the same place, but, like, served that purpose for each other, you know. Mm. And... She just changed everything. I, yeah, from there it was like started paying attention to the world again. Instead of th- this reframing of stories of like instead of it's things that are wrong with me, it's things that I did to adapt to things that were wrong in my life hmm. at one point or along the way or whatever. I started to realize like remembering like oh all those things I asked questions about why does government do this and why are there wars and stuff and then just went, oh, that's just the way it is. So me not feeling good about it must be a problem with me. Hmm. I like circled back around to like, no, that's not okay. (laughs) It's not okay to have war. It's not okay to have this, like people starving when other people like 
have billions of dollars piled up and are sending people off to war. And it, hmm. it, it reframed everything. This like realization that I wasn't, I wasn't a bad thing. Like I wasn't a problem. I wasn't a mistake in the universe. Like, so what way? Yeah. You're not a mistake. What are you? I was just a human. Like, I just realized, like, I'm just a person that's here for, what, like, just to live. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, I don't know. It was, hmm. Yeah, a lot of diving into, you know, diving into 9-11 and diving into the Federal Reserve and diving into, like, that's when I started going down the rabbit holes. Hmm. As well as cleaning up my entire diet, you know, going all organic, cutting out processed foods, lots of different probiotics. So my brain was like functioning fully for the first time in my entire life. Because hmm. my mom and family, like we cooked a lot of stuff at home, but it was like at home from a box. Sure. At home with frozen vegetables. At home, you know, like, it was, for the very first time in my life, I had a truly healthy diet. And so I started feeling better and better. My, you know, physical pain was gone. Digestion was working properly. Brains functioning properly. Eyesight got better. Realizing that the things I thought were problems were actually just coping mechanisms or programs that I could stop running as soon as I chose to. And that led into, you know, finding the work of Abraham Hicks and finding neuro-linguistic programming and finding all these tools for reprogramming my brain. Hmm. And that, you know, that, that was, that was all I needed. It's like, I'm, my brain loves researching and diving into things and (laughs) learning things and practicing new stuff. So like, once I realized there were tools to find happiness, like tools to make yourself actually be happy, Uh I just did that. (laughs) I, I charged down that rabbit hole full speed for the next like year and a half, two years of just like constantly doing affirmations, listening to different sound healings, listening to different, you know, binaural beats going started going to workshops, started connecting with people for the first time around being authentic, being open with each other, being people on a path of healing instead of just connecting with people around video games, drugs, and work. Mm-hmm. That's the only things I'd ever really connected with people on. Even in you know, like all the way back through high school and middle school, it's like the people I hung out with were the people I played video games with and smoked weed and drank alcohol with. Mm-hmm. You know, like those were all my connections until that point. And so you started making more friends who are interested in being happy and improving their lives and reprogramming the brains. Yeah. yeah. And started going to restaurants where the people were happy because organic restaurants uh-huh. and they take better care of their employees and the people there care about the food. Like, everything around me started shifting too. Like it's the, the friends and stuff, the store, I started shopping at a local organic co-op where everything's organic. It's all vegetarian. It's all like local grown, you know, like every part of my experience shifted Hmm. and I realized, yeah, I, I could just keep shifting it. (laughs) And when there was a part that didn't work, I could just shift it again. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So in comparison, like to going back when you were in high school and you have this physical reductionist view of the world, like it's the world is mechanical and that's just how it is. And now you have, have this this new vision of the world where th- things can change and, and you can seek happiness and, and enjoy experiences with other people. What did, what did they look like in comparison? The funny thing is I, 
the, one of the biggest things that 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 shifted there was I thought that I was so scientific. I thought that my brain was, like <laughs> I was living on logic and I was living on the scientific method and I you know that's that's what most people in that physical reductionist yes. thought process think is you're like no the science doesn't back it up. Yes. And I realized I didn't do much science. I just accepted what other people told me hmm. and acted as though that were true. That's hypnosis. That's not science. Hmm. And I decided I'm going to just go through life. And this was like actually a, a something of a, a actually sat down and like made the decision of like, I'm just going to be open to things and I'm going to do my own experiments. I'm going to see hmm. what happens. Hmm. You know, I'm not going to just accept that this is that this method works or that treatment works or this food works or I think that's where it really started was the food was like, oh, these this thing that everybody is telling me is great doesn't work for my body. Mm -hmm. Well, that's me doing science is running the experiment on my body and realizing it doesn't work. So it doesn't matter what they say. It matters what I actually experience as I go through it. Yes. And so. Yeah, a lot of things that I had been totally dismissive of, like energy healing of various kinds, acupuncture, all these things. Never mind the history. Never, None of that mattered. It was just I had disregarded it because someone told me it was fake. Hmm. I should go try it out and see what happens. Yeah. And I started having these <laughs> life-changing experiences. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Like the the world is a playground now. You yeah. Could, you could go and try and, you know, go on the swings and go the roundabout of whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. And it's so much more fun to be curious uh-huh. instead of to be sure that it's not going to work or it's not going to be fun. Like, oh, that's just whatever. I don't, I don't need to bother trying because I already know. Instead, just having that open mind of like, well, I haven't done it yet, so I don't know. <laughs> Which just seems so simple. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, hindsight. <laughs> yeah. Right? And yeah, just that like, laugh, started laughing at the old version of myself of like, you were the most anti-scientific person. <laughs> like... <laughs> You didn't test anything out for yourself. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's interesting. Because I, I hear, like, well, I guess I, I used to hear people saying, oh, your own experience is anecdotal. But your own experience isn't, isn't anecdotal. It's your experience. <laughs> really, you have, you have nothing but your own experience. So, so yeah. <laughs> using yeah. your own experience to determine what's what's real and what isn't that that is i mean maybe it's even beyond scientific it's it's sensible it's right. <laughs> practical pragmatic yeah yeah empirical yes and i'm not you don't have to try to say i think the that that line falls where like i say this was my experience so that means it's true for everyone right that's where it becomes not that that doesn't you can't do that that doesn't work yes. that's where you're crossing that line back away from science again back away from Mm. Let's say truth, like mm. because just because it works that way for you doesn't mean it's going to work for someone else. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that <laughs> everyone's only having their own experience. Like <laughs> if we look at quantum physics and all the you know mm. Schrodinger's cat and everything from there, everything that follows that line of thought, where it's like, well, the observation changes the effect. Mm. So <laughs> is there like we can't say what any effect is without the observation being part of it. And since none of us can remove ourselves as the observer without losing the observation itself. Mm. Yeah. It's all your experience. Mm. And it's so much, it's so empowering 
to know that you can make choices for yourself. You can experience things for yourself. And even if other people don't, even if no one else on the planet has ever had that experience, if you do, then that's your experience and that's okay. That's good. Like there's no judgment around it, good or bad. It just is. That's what you experience. <laughs> like, Cause there's so many things that I had, I pushed away. You know, I, I went in to a thing and there was, whether I had a preconception or I just had the experience first and then the outside story came in and I would throw away my own experience. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, well, what I experienced obviously was just uh, my brain playing a trick on me or whatever because that's uh-huh. not what the books say. Right. Like, <laughs> the books? <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what were those guys doing when they wrote about it? Like, they were having their own personal experience. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so the, the world is it's a, a much more fun place when you when you can ha- like explore your own experience in that way. Yeah, like not limited to to just you know the A four pages of a, of a textbook. Yeah, and yeah. so much more expansive because because of that openness that that even if I've done it before, well, I did that a couple of years ago. That was a different version of me. Maybe it'll be different now. Hmm. You know, like I. Even things that I've already had an experience about, I'm more, or like experience with, I'm more open-minded or more open to it being different than things that back in, in the old versions of me where I hadn't had any experience yet. I was more closed <laughs> off to it. Like, you know, I mean, by any, any way of measuring it, I've been happier ever since. I've been healthier physically, mentally, emotionally. I've... Yeah. I... I I only left Oregon, Washington, California like three times before I was twenty five. Right. I've been living out of a backpack for six years. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I get to go wherever I want all the time. Like just that alone. <laughs> it's like whoa. <laughs> so when, let's try to yeah, let's try to try jumping to, ahead a bit. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's fine. I think we're. Uh, uh, well, let's uh, let's try to break break down some of the wisdom. Like, if if you could say three things that that changed your happiness the the most, what do you think they would be? Man, the biggest thing, the first thing would just be you don't know yet. Like you don't know. I mean, I had usernames on a lot of gaming platforms and stuff that were like, I know all <laughs> the all knowing because I was smart and I read a lot of books. So I had that, you know, I knew what a lot of words meant. People would ask me for definite, like I had that kind of knowledge. Yes. So I just took that to mean I knew about the world hmm. and just that, if I could just hammer that home to a younger version of myself, like, no, no, you don't know yet. Hmm. Cause that with that, the door's open. If you know that you don't know, then you can start asking the questions. Yes. That's huge. Taking care of my body is, you know, it doesn't matter how smart you are, how well equipped you are in whatever ways, how well connected you are, how rich you are. Your brain can only function as well as your body's functioning. Your brain itself is, you know, that we don't consciousness and mind and all of that being sort of looser terms, but we experience life through our brain. We experience it through all these electrical impulses, through all these chemical reactions. And when 
when we're not getting the nutrients we need, when we're getting all sorts of toxins that don't work for us, when we're not able to get you know produce enough of the amino acids and neurotransmitters that we need, the brain can't function properly, and you can't possibly be having your full experience. You can't you can't feel as good as you should or might be able to in a in any time if your body is in detox and full of poisons and and stressed out all the time. So I think that I I had disregarded my body for a long time. I treated it like a rental car. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this is just a vehicle that I'm in until I die and then it just melts back into the ground. So I don't need to take care of it. Hmm. I'm just experiencing through my brain. All I need to do is experience more through my brain. Hmm. But the same thing doing the exact same thing now with, you know, having had a very clean diet and taking care of myself with supplements and exercise and sunlight and all of these things for years now versus that version of myself that was eating pizza and hamburgers and drinking soda every day. Just doing the exact same thing in the exact same circumstances of the outside world mm. feels better. Or I can tell quickly that it doesn't work for me and I can move away from it. When I had, I had, I had inflammation constant, you know, joint pain everywhere, headaches every single day, hmm. constipation and di- digestive issues every single day, right. especially alcohol through years of I mean, detoxing or having withdrawals every morning until I start drinking again. <laughs> you know, like how am I supposed to know what feels good when I'm literally in pain at all times? <laughs> so that's and really, that's the big, I feel like if I hadn't started drinking kombucha through that job and then like had that introduction to what clean food meant. Like Uh those were the things that really allowed my brain to start opening up. And I feel Uh like that, you know, you can, you can come at it from any angle, but if you don't take care of the body, the rest of the story just isn't going to play out as well as it could have. Hmm. So yeah, you don't know, take care of the body and Whatever it is, you can change it. You know, even if you can't change that experience, and you can't change the machine shop across the road, you can move away. You can put in <laughs> soundproof windows. You can wear earplugs at night. You know, like whatever it is. Macklemore has a great line in his song Vipassana. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't control reality, but I control how I react to it. Right. And through mm-hmm. controlling our own stories and our own experiences of reality, we are changing reality because we're changing how we are responding. If that thing doesn't work for you, you're going to move away from it. You're going to shift away from it. You're going to stop partaking in it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, that's been the key to everything. It's just realizing that I, I control my experience of reality. There's yes. lots of old programs and there's lots of old trauma and stuff in there that have shaped it. And you know, there's momentum rolling in these ways, but I can change that too. Slowly. I can't just delete trauma from my childhood and, you know, snapping my fingers, but I can sit with it and I can, you know, delve into, I can try different practices to see what works. Yes. And that taking responsibility for my own experience not only allows me to change it, but allows it to feel like my experience. And, you know, it's not just a story that someone else told me that I'm playing out anymore, mm-hmm. whether the good, the bad, the the hard, the easy, the sad, like, it's all my story now. I'm writing the story instead of someone else writing the story. Mm. And that I feel like that's the most empowering feeling uh, and, and the most effective way for any of us to actually change the world at larger scale than just ourselves is to take control of our story 
you know, because otherwise, what are you doing? You're asking for other people to change it. You're yes. voting. You're voting for the better world. Like you're giving away. Yeah, power. you're giving away your agency. Yes, <laughs> I, li- I like what you said about sitting with it. That's something that comes up so often in interviews, and it's it kind of mind-boggling to think that just <laughs> you hold a you know you hold an event or a feeling and experience in your mind and, and just sit there and breathe, and that has all this transformative power. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just just pausing for a moment. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That yeah, it's that incredible. Just being. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's say well, I'll ask you again to close your eyes for a moment. Let's say you you walk up on a hill and you see this young man and, and you think you get a glimpse that he was holding a pistol in his hand. And you know what he was about to do. What are you saying to him? <laughs> Take your time. Oh, man. I think uh, I think the first thing I would say or do would just be to ask if I could sit next to him. Yeah. You know, and just I would like say like I was just coming up to sit on this this is my favorite little part of the cliff too. I like the view and kinda mm-hmm. just sit next to you and quietly for a while and just mm-hmm. sit there. And Yeah. I feel like just that alone could have a huge effect, but just to, you know, really ease into it, not, not try to ask any questions or anything at first, just to like sit there and be there. And then if it felt right to, to, to move that towards like, Hey, I've been there too. You know, like I, I sat on my sure mountaintops ready to end everything. Hmm. And, that's man I don't even know what I would actually say from there I feel mm-hmm. like something would come it would flow but yes just sitting with them and, and that that acknowledgement of shared experience and like you're not the only one yes you know it's good your story doesn't have to be that it can be anything you want it to be all those people that said, you know, in school or wherever, like, you can't do that because you're not this enough or you can't do this or nobody gets to do that or it's all bullshit. You can do whatever you want, mm-hmm. literally whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Even things that seem outside of the laws of physics, I see plenty of that happen. <laughs> like, <laughs> so maybe, maybe life is very different to, to what this young man thinks. Yeah. 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 And I feel like that was, for me, that was so much of the problem was feeling, like having that inner knowing that mm. that wasn't, like, that's why it didn't feel good to play those roles, to, to go into the grind, to, to put myself through that because it didn't, it wasn't for me. And just, yeah, ex- that, that explanation of like, 
it isn't it isn't that you you feel it isn't that you feel bad because being a human sucks or because you know it's like you feel bad because you're literally living someone else's story like you're not supposed mm. to be in that role that someone else laid out for you that's not your role it can't be if someone else made it up there's no way for it to be for you if someone else made it up because they aren't you they don't have your experience they can't know what it is so maybe you could say to him some something like what what if your story is your own yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Ken. So, and anything else you want to say before we finish? Okay. Oh. kitchen on the on the <laughs> blockchain. Hive blockchain, library blockchain, <laughs> float.app, telegram. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I, moved, I moved along a little too quick. You still in your eyes. <laughs> finish too fast, though, dude. Oh. <laughs> Just take another deep breath. <laughs> but that was it. That, that was that was great, man. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just whatever that thing is that you've always wanted to do, or that you've always that character you've always wanted to be, that the way that you've always wanted to be more. Hmm. Just know that you can. You know, and it's not. It's not necessarily going to be fast or easy, hmm. you know. How, like you don't play games because they're easy. You play them for the challenge. You know, you don't read books because it jumps from the beginning to the end and everything being solved. It's all about the journey, hmm. and it's like that for each of us too. And you know, another Macklemore song uh, lyric is, you know, "The brighter <laughs> the light, the darker the shadow." Right. And so much I see the those of us, those of those humans who have suffered so much internally through their childhood and early lives it's because they have so much magic and so much power in them hmm. and they were it's been it's been boxed away it's been put away by the system by school parents whatever hmm. and as soon as they start walking down that path of writing their own story again of taking authority uh, being the author of their own story ah. it just lights up and they change the lives of everyone around them yeah yeah thank you <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for sharing your story and and being vulnerable with me here and and uh, making magic <laughs> a beautiful thought thank you for listening so you noticed there I led Kenny to go back to his past to actually have the opportunity to help heal his past self. Now, we all have that opportunity. If there is something deep in our past that still hurts, you have the chance to, to go back and imagine giving hugs to our former self or giving ourselves that space which we so needed as Kenny talked about just sitting with someone not being intrusive and letting them know that they're not alone what if you were to go back to some point in your past and provide that kind of care or comfort how would that feel? 
<laughs> how would you be able to heal so much more in the present, having offered that for yourself? Again, you can check out the Greater Reset Activation. All of the presentations are on the site for, for free. Unfortunately, I didn't do a presentation this time, but uh, yeah, I ended up doing a Cognitive Behavioral Techniques workshop, leading people through, including Kenny and, and uh, seven other people, talking about how they can look at their beliefs in a new way, how they can make their beliefs conscious and then how they can begin to transform them into something that's going to provide them with happiness and joy or satisfaction, contentment, peace within their life. So <laughs> that was a fun experience as a first time doing that kind of workshop for me. So that that was uh, that was awesome. <laughs> we had a great time. And yeah, check out thegreaterreset.org check out Katie's work on Odyssey LBRY and Hive if you're considering getting coaching with me you can go on to beautifulpodcast.com and you'll see up the top where it says CBT sessions you can book a session with me and we can begin to explore what's going on the link between your emotions and your beliefs or your beliefs and your actions and how we can begin to make those more conscious and begin to transform them into something wonderful. So check that out, beautifulpodcast.com, greenerreset.org, Kenny's Kitchen on Odyssey. And have a great day. Oh,